everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Ujwala, the founder of Stray Animal Foundation of India, an organization with a simple mission to rescue and make miracles happen for stray animals in India. Rescue isn't black and white, and here at Cuddly, it's always been super important to us to understand how different rescue can be internationally, which is why we were so excited to bring Ujwala on to talk about the cultures, perceptions, and realities of rescue in India. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hello, Ujwala. How are you? Good, Bridget. How are you? Excellent. We're so happy to have you on. There's so much we want to dig into with you. We work with so many different international rescuers and every single place region has a totally different story to tell. So we're super excited to get into yours. But before we really dig into like current events, what is the history behind the Stray Dog Foundation of India? It is Stray Animal Foundation of India. History-wise, actually, I am born and raised in India, but actually never was a fan of stray dogs at all. Because when you grow up in India, you see them suffering everywhere. And veterinary hospitals is not something you see at a lot of places. So you, do, you don't even know, you know whom to contact, you know how to contact. And most of the veterinarians in India are for uh, big animals. So the lack of information, the lack of uh, you know, advocacy, you know, everything is missing. So, and uh, even adults preach the kids, you know, not to go near the stray dogs, you know, they'll bite you kind of. So I always kind of, you know, stayed away and you know, never really thought about them until I moved to United States in the year 2000. And one of my daughter turned out to be a dog lover. And then she always wanted to adopt. But, you know, I <laughs> was kind of showing it off because I never had a dog in my life. And then when we uh, went to India and then we were there, you know, a dog delivered puppies. And then she, my daughter, befriended the stray dog. And then the dog was very, very nice to us. I mean, that was my first uh, experience you know, with a dog. And unfortunately, the way in India, you know, people are very against you know these stray dogs because there are a lot of them you know they bark a lot in the nights there are uh, territorial fine fights between them you know it has nothing to do with humans but still you know people are scared so they decided to throw those unweaned puppies away and uh, that really made me sad i mean i united them ultimately but uh, you know it's uh, mid of the summer and they were without any liquids, you know, for 24 hours in 115 degrees Fahrenheit. I heard the next day that, you know, a couple of them died. They were not in the same place, you know, so I could not find them. So that was my first experience. Then I changed my opinion about uh, uh, these street dogs or stray dogs, you know, uh, both are pretty much the same. Then I really did not know how to help them or, you know, because I did not know any rescues in India. There is no... I have never heard of any rescue concept in India. So I came back to US, you know, doing nothing. You know, I just kept thinking about it, you know, and then my daughter kept haunting me that you didn't help them, you know, you didn't help them enough. And uh, finally, it was not until, you know, two years later that I heard about fostering in, uh, here in uh, Florida, United States. Then I started uh, fostering in uh, year 2016, exactly the same time, end of July is when I started. And then my first fast experience was very hard initially because it was a mom and uh, seven puppies who came. And the reason I chose a mom and puppies is because to satisfy my daughter, because she was asking me for a, a dog to adopt, uh, but I didn't know how to raise a dog. It was hard, you know, taking care of uh, seven puppies and a mom. But, you know, it, uh, it within just two weeks, you know, I kind of felt that bonding, the connection. and then. Since then, I did not stop. In this whole journey, I fostered you know, 59 dogs so far for local Florida rescue organizations. And I am also secretary for uh, 
which is pet rescue here in florida and then i do multiple transportations you know i do volunteer work over the weekends and so meanwhile i did visit india two three times and every single time i see a very bad abuse you know towards these three dogs they are hitting them badly for a very simple reasons and then uh, it made me really feel bad so i wanted to do something so i started off with the uh, one organization that i know but not every organization in india has uh, full fledged facilities veterinarians and you know right number of staff things like that so that made me think you know maybe i should do something more but i did not know how to really start because even though i am born and raised in india having a non profit here is much different than having a associated non profit there you know the rules are extremely stringent there i mean to say it's not easy so i was not sure you know with uh, my two kids here you know i cannot really leave them but somehow i found a way you know i mean in the last one one plus year one and a half year almost somehow you know i found very very good people you know good rescuers and that's how i got started oh my gosh that's amazing to hear that it all came from your daughter being like we have to do it i mean she sounds like a very powerful young lady <laughs> Yeah, she is. I mean, she did uh, make a big difference in me. Oh my gosh. I think it's always interesting when a rescuer, when you first get into animal welfare, because I think all of us like are a little bit blinded before. Oh my God, I was thinking this. Right. And then all of a sudden you like see it everywhere and you see the stray dogs everywhere and you see, hey, so-and-so shouldn't be treating that, that dog that way. So it sounds like it's the same with you though, where probably every day in india you were seeing people do all sorts of things to animals and you just weren't it wasn't catching your eye in the same way that when you came back after fostering all those animals all those dogs it all of a sudden you, your eyes were opened and you're like well that shouldn't be the case this is a living being i agree yes back then you know i was a child you know i couldn't really convince anyone speak to any adults it was different but now you know i'm much more confident and you know, i can say things to you know people not to do that's the main main point you know i started that doing you know i started uh, educating them about uh, sterilization you know instead of uh, hitting them and abusing them in their neighborhood you know instead you know they can pitch in some money and you know sterilize them i try to do as much but there are so many stray dogs and it's really hard to catch them because they are they are feral and even if i educate you know not everyone really gets what i mean so it's hard it really takes a long time actually and it's not just uh, a few stray dogs there i mean if you see in the streets every single street has dozens of them actually so it needs a very big effort you know to yeah do anything for them that's what we've heard too i know we work with a few other rescues that work with like individual rescuers internationally and it almost becomes like the kind of thing where you're not taking the dogs in you're going out and you're just caring for them in the street in whatever way you can i know mm -hmm. during covid too there were a lot of people who were just going into the street and like sacrificing their own their own livelihood in some ways to feed these street dogs and with people being confined to their homes every now and again that was really difficult and so there weren't these people able to like care for the street dogs in the same way so With that being said, I mean in the past year, how has your work changed a little bit? Yeah, it changed a lot and then I was able to do a lot more than I thought, you know, I could do. Uh, last year, you know, when the covid started, you know, I started off with a feeding program when all these restaurants, you know, these small cafes and you know, food trucks were closed. They had I mean it's all of a sudden change. I mean, they did not these dogs did not know where to eat from. I mean, all these the scrapes from restaurants you know food trucks are their main source of food and if there is a big change i mean there were fights going on you know, for the food so that's when a group of people not me actually or uh, back then i did not know you know really a lot so i um partnered with them and then i helped them you know to feed these stray dogs and it went very well i mean that's when i started meeting all these rescuers in india i was surprised actually there are a lot of them but what they needed was some push and you know a financial help and a few resources because not a lot of people own cars in india and taxis do not allow stray dogs or street dogs because you know there's a lot of discrimination there even 
landlords do not allow stray dogs even though they allow breed dogs you know they do not allow stray dogs especially the rescued ones so all these rescuers you know had a very very rough time even though they wanted to help you know, they could not so i started providing them resources so i mean to say i will pay for the vet care you know i partnered with uh, a few veterinarians i will pay for the transportation so, you know i found a few pet taxis you know who can help them uh, transport and we partnered with uh, wholesale medical and food places so that motivated a lot of uh, rescuers in india when they saw you know one person getting help and you know helping more animals the others saw and then you know they wanted to do that too and then volunteer base actually expanded you know very fast that was you know pretty surprising to me but it turned out you know very very good because me you know being in united states you know cannot do everything you know all i can do is coordinate with them partner with a few people you know send the payments yeah make sure you know they get all the resources you know to bring the health back of the dog and rest of them you know they were doing actually so it turned out you know very well for me wow to think that you were not interested in dogs at all mm-hmm. and up until a few years ago and then to hear where you are now that's incredible and i know you were like a bit pressured to do it <laughs> but still you don't do anything halfway do you you really go for it <laughs> yeah when i opened my non-profit last year in covid times i had no idea how to run a non-profit you know how to get donations you know until then i was actually paying from my own pocket for many many years i am a full time it engineer so this whole area is like a black box for me but still i wanted to do you know i thought you know i needed to start somewhere but by then you know i was working with the uh, poochie's pet rescue in florida for almost 4 uh, years so i've been you know watching I've been a secretary for them. I should start somewhere, you know, let me try. And then that's how I started. But I did not know how to go, you know, how to get started or uh, nothing. And then I spent all my evenings after work about, you know, running non-profits, you know, attending webinars, you know, researching, watching other uh, organizations. Even I even spoke to a few organization founders to see, you know, how they got started, you know, how they are. no able to raise and how they are uh, running their uh, i used to work with the uh, dharamshala annual rescue she is a us citizen but then you know she opened her uh, rescue in uh, northern india she has been a very good, good mentor to me and then stray dog support you know i did work with helen as well they are being you know good uh, mentors to me and it kind of motivated you know in the beginning you know after talking to them and i just followed you know what i knew and that's it you know today i'm here No, absolutely. And I kind of wanted to ask in regards to their mentorship, what do you think has been the most important like piece of advice they've given you in regards to how you've run your organization, how you've grown so much? So basically, Dharamshala Animal Rescue was very close to my rescue because she does more I mean she has a clinic set up already in uh, Dharamshala and uh, they do have on on-site staff and they do massive sterilizations there on this on their uh, location so that was actually perfect for me because that's what i wanted to do but you know i really did not know how to uh, do it from here though so but you know she did guide me you know how to come up with the uh, standard operating procedures you know how to train them you know how many people to hire you know how much does she pay you know how what are the ways you know she fundraises you know and the uh, she did guide through me you know very well and uh, that gave me a good idea about you know how many people approximately you know i should hire you know how much payments you know i should be ready for and what all it takes you know what are the practical problems you know in india it was overwhelming when i heard you know from them for the first time because even though you know i'm born and raised in uh, india it is very hard you know in india i knew that you know but then you know i really appreciated her going all the way to india and then opening a rescue there even though i mean i was overwhelmed you know i did not know you know how to really make this whole thing happen but actually partnering with the people over there kind of helped me because all i do right now is you know focus partnering with the genuine and the right people in india and fundraise and then monitor the whole process you know make sure everything is going well you know not side tracked they take care of the actual all these procedures 
that we have to really deal with. That's the hard part for me. I mean, you know, me being in the United States for so long, it's hard for me to be, you know, behind those officials, you know, who always, you know, expect, you know, bribing and, you know, things like that. So right now, good thing is, you know, they are dealing with all that process. You know, I am focusing on a few things. It is such a unique challenge to to be managing all of this remotely. And I know in our talks with Helen from Stray Dog Support, she was talking about how important it is to like verify so many of her rescuers. And you already like hinted, not hinted, but you specifically <laughs> said there are a lot of rescuers that do it out of the goodness of their heart, but there are also all those that like they are doing it for pay as well. And so I'm wondering if you can maybe go into a little bit of your vetting process, like how you find these people that are going to work with these animals, how you verify what costs they have. Absolutely. It's not easy. I mean, to say, even though only animal lovers come to me, but, you know, they could get greedy anytime. So initially, I mean, since I'm an Indian, you know, I do know only a couple of people. That's where I started with. Every time, you know, a new person comes for help, I always take references and I make sure I know those people, you know, those references, you know, I do, I make sure, you know, they are not like, you know, brand new people that I don't even know. It's not just the rescuers, actually, even veterinarians, not every veterinarian is uh, honest enough. I mean, there could be, you know, with, there are veterinarians, you know, who just care about money, but not uh, the health of the dog. Even with the veterinarians, I make sure I talk to them first and I take the numbers and I take, I make sure I hear about them first from at least, you know, a couple of people that I absolutely believe. And then I talk to them, you know, making sure, you know, what all equipment they have, you know, and what are their standard operating uh, procedures, what all they do, you know, when a rescue comes. That gives me an idea, you know, how knowledgeable they are, you know, how attentive they are, you know, that gives me a lot of information. So initially, like, you know, the very first few days, I used to work with uh, volunteers directly and they will take to the veterinarians you know, on their uh, own knowledge. So that did not work for me. So since then, I made sure I partnered with a few harnessed veterinarians and I talked to them very regularly, make sure, you know, they are on top of, you know, things. And I also have access to their system. So then I know exactly how many cases they are uh, looking, you know, how much they are charging and, you know, their uh, clinical notes, you know, the x-rays and everything, you know, before and after x-rays. It was a learning process, but I am there today. I mean, even today, every single rescuer, even a shelter or NGO, you know, who approaches me, I will go through the same process. I need to take uh, references. I make sure I call them and, you know, get to know them. And I make sure I explain them all my rules standard operating procedures and everything. And it's not 100% possible to follow those procedures because, you know, the way, you know, things in India is very, very different. But those are the guidelines. So, you know, they pretty much do follow them. Even in rescues, like next door, Mm -hmm. there's always bound to be like bad apple that'll find its way in. But I think those that are working really diligently are able to like weed those people out pretty quickly. And Uh, correct course. Going into a little bit on culture and like laws. I mean, in my head, when you first mentioned it, I was like, well, that makes sense. There aren't a lot of animal abuse laws, even in the United States now, and things are really just coming around. But it even sounds like more than that, there are other obstacles in the way as far as like, you can't have animals in A, B, and C locations. So can you maybe provide a little bit more context for the culture there? So culturally, there is absolutely nothing you know, to be against you know, these three animals. I do know that you know, in other uh, religions, you know, they are not supposed to touch the dogs. In India, especially in Hinduism, you know, there is absolutely nothing like that. In fact, they are supposed to respect and uh, you know, be humane you know, with these dogs. But unfortunately, because of uh, this high population and especially lack of knowledge and uh, lack of um, advocacy, People do abuse them. I mean, to say, I mean, if you ever go to India in the night times, a bunch of dogs bark the whole night, like very, very loud. You know, it really disturbs, you know, people. That's where, you know, the very first irritation starts, you know, to people because they can't sleep. You know, that's the first thing. And then 
because there is so much traffic in the daytime you know they all these dogs uh, territorial fights and mating fights uh, happens in the nights and uh, people if they have to go home usually you know a lot of people do not own cars there so you know they are walking to their homes when they walk they are just scared you know seeing all these dogs fighting even though the fight has nothing to do with these people you know they are actually fighting for their territory or for mating but they do not know that information but they are just scared and you know they go talk to other people you know saying oh you know i'm scared of these dogs and we should do something and if it is an apartment complex or if it is a gated community you know they talk to the homeowners and you know they all get together and instead of you know sterilizing them what they do is that you know previously they used to call the local municipality i think for the past 10 years it is illegal to kill the stray dogs so before 10 years the government municipality comes in a big van and then they catch all these dogs and they poison them that's how they were um, reducing the number of dogs and eliminating all the nuisance you know that people think but quite a few organizations in you know, made sure uh, you know it goes illegal and then now it is illegal but the same thing continues in a different way sometimes you know people hire their own catchers and they either make them kill or they poison them or uh, they relocate them or they call the local municipality and then local municipality takes the dogs away they are supposed to sterilize and release them back that is what is supposed to happen because it is illegal to kill them or uh, relocate them but you know most of the times you know people do not see them back it's hard to think but also i mean as far as our history is concerned the more i've learned about animal welfare even in the united states it's one horrific situation after another as far as like that is population control mm-hmm. and a lot of times there there isn't a big option otherwise you'd have a city that is just made up of dogs which sounds cute in theory but horrific in, in real life and even i know recently we we heard about how so many city animal shelters were literally built right next to like city dumps because that was your two options you can take them to the shelter or you can take them to the dump so it's a hard issue to deal with i'm sure i mean for every community so but especially i imagine in india because i know you've said that they have low adoption rate mm-hmm. is that because of like the tenant laws or just like overall just the perceived attitude about dogs yeah i think that attitude kind of probably started uh, these days i mean especially with the growing number of dogs i mean in urban areas actually i think you know there's a lot of food available these days you know because of so many restaurants coming even though quite a few puppies do die but you know still you know population keeps increasing so for some reason the people used to adopt indian breeds like many many years back that's the only breed available right but past few years people these breeders started importing you know all sorts of you know dog breeds from other countries and they started breeding and they started selling that kind of started a new kind of uh, attitude in people thinking that only breed dogs imported from other countries are adaptable and these street dogs are meant to be only on the streets and somehow you know that kind of attitude started you know and then even you know in fact you know i am i'm no different you know growing up there in india i heard a lot of people talking about this and then even i thought only breeds are uh, supposed to be adaptable you know street dogs are meant to be on the streets you know they do not they cannot be domesticated and things like that but you know there is absolutely no advocates you know to really educate that's not the case so everyone kept thinking the same thing and there is absolutely no one to educate them you know that's not the case but in fact when i came to united states my very first foster was a pitbull and then i eventually started uh, knowing about you know the pitbull discrimination and then i realized you know you, these indian breeds are highly discriminated you know and then what i heard from my childhood is you know absolutely nothing but discrimination and unfortunately government does not really do any major efforts you know to control this i mean at least the population i mean to say educating about these stray dogs or handling them and you know not hurting them 
is much much far away you know what what we want government to do but at least about spaying neutering them they do have uh, centers to spay neuter but you know that's not enough the number of dogs you know, that we have you know it has to be really in a massive way but you know they do not do that so you said earlier too that india there are some landlords that will only allow a specific kind of dog to live there more specifically the breed dogs versus the stray dogs do you think I would imagine that that also results in the low adoption rates because people can't adopt an animal if they can't bring it back home and they don't have the approval from a landlord to have that animal. Absolutely, yeah. Not only landlord discriminates these Indian breeds. In fact, even veterinarians, you know, when you walk into a veterinary office, you know, the minute you know they see a street dog, they do not pay attention. There are a few veterinary offices. They are known to only care about breed dogs, but not uh, street dogs. So we always had to really fight you know, with these veterinarians to give equal importance to our rescues too. And it's not just that. Even normally, you know, when, when someone walks into your home and they see a breed dog, they're like, oh, such a cute dog. And then, you know, the owners obviously feels pride. But then, you know, when they own a street dog, everyone is like, you know, why did you adopt a street dog, you know? It's an Indian breed, you know, they're not adaptable, you know, do you know, you know, they ask all these, you know, sort of questions. So, yeah, starting from landlords to, you know, all these, you know, regular people to veterinarians, you know, even is directly and indirectly, you know, demotivating the street dog adoptions. Well, and then I know you mentioned that you got really involved in transports. So were you doing a lot of transports with the, like, United States rescues that you had been fostering and working with here? Like, were you driving animals around or were you actually, like, flying animals in from India? I did every single one of, you know, what you said, you know, here and there. So I transport the dogs, you know, here in Florida from the shelters to either the foster homes. Sometimes I fulfill the legs. Let's say, you know, there is a, a dog coming all the way from New York to, you know, Orlando. These uh, rescue groups, you know, want someone, you know, to transport from Jacksonville to, you know, Palm Coast or, you know, I feel that leg. I also do fly these rescue dogs from all the way to India to US as well. In uh, 2019, I did volunteer as a flight volunteer to bring three street dogs, you know, from Hyderabad, India to Florida. And uh, back then, I did volunteer for stray dog support and then Poochies, you know, that I am secretary for, you know, they took those three dogs into their rescue and then all of them found, you know, good homes. And uh, this year in uh, July, I did go to India again and then I did bring three of my own rescues from Sri Animal Foundation of India. Regarding the transportation in India, I mean, I only arrange, you know, the transport, pit pit cabs, you know, pit transporters, you know, to transport you know from the accident location to the shelters you know sometimes to the veterinarians you know sometimes to foster homes sometimes you know to release them back you know where they are found oh my gosh that's so much coordinating i can't even imagine i mean especially given what you said about there are a lot of like taxis that won't take dogs into their car so even like i can't imagine having to assess in an urgent situation like an accident has happened how do we get this animal into a car, into the vet? If you're across town or something like that, you sound very good at like analytical, <laughs> being problem solving. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, you know, especially, you know, the, the way the traffic is in India. If we get a call from all the way on the other side, it literally takes in the traffic like two hours just to go one way. And if you have your own transportation and bringing them back again, you know, it takes another two hours. It's hard. I mean, that is why a lot of these rescuers in India were not able to afford in all these uh, rescues because they do not own their own car and they cannot pay, you know, three times more for pit taxis. So that's where, you know, I come in and help them. I know you mentioned too that there are times where you care for an animal and you treat them medically and then they're released to the street again. And that's going to make like so many people like gasp and shudder. But I know that's just... It's a reality. It's a reality and it's what it's the best option. So can you maybe go into a little bit about like a, an animal's journey once they come in as a medical case? Yeah, absolutely. So because of the 
bad traffic in India. I mean, first of all, if the traffic is very bad there, I mean, high number of vehicles driving and uh, the roads are very narrow. You don't necessarily have to follow the traffic. I mean, you don't have to follow the traffic lights and you don't necessarily have to go in that one way. You can always go. <laughs> so there are people driving all sorts of ways, fortunately. So, and, you know, these three dogs, you know, have to cross the roads you know, all the time you know, in search of food and you know, in search of mates when they are lost, you know, I mean, lots of, you know, different reasons. So, you know, they end up in accidents, you know, they, when someone reports, you know, we need someone to report the accident, actually, you know, and then a lot of people do not even know whom to report because, you know, as I said, you know, most of the people don't even know the concept of rescue. So there are very few people, you know, who knows. So, you know, they will call us our shelter manager, you know, he's a, you know, and he or she, you know, they, uh, they wear multiple hats. They drive all the way to the rescue uh, place. You know, they, the veterinarians and our partner veterinarians, you know, they'll do all the tests and all. They will suggest, you know, whether uh, we need a surgery or whatever. If it's a surgery, you know, we will take to another surgeon, you know, and, you know, we have to bring them back to our veterinarian to do after x-rays. So there's a lot of back and forth, you know, and then the coordination, you know, between different vets. It's not like, you know, United States. You know, I did surgeries here in the United States and it is very, very straightforward. I mean, it is very easy. I just drive them one place, you know, does it all, you know, and then I come back. But there, it's a lot more actually. And even for aftercare, the infection rate is very high. The pollution, you know, the virus is everywhere. So even while they are recovering, we have seen, especially with the puppies, you know, they contract parvo, you know, sometimes distemper. So we have to constantly keep sanitizing. Luckily, let's say, you know, if everything goes well and the dog recovered, I mean, they do have uh, a lot of um, immunity as well, you know, that I have seen. The adoption rate is very, very less for Indian breeds, especially for adult dogs. And if they are injured, very, very less. I have seen a few rescuers waiting for months and months, you know, for... Uh, getting that that adult injured rehabilitated dog for adoption they have gone for adoptions you know like after a year or you know like eight months but because you know these people are not well educated you know how to i mean that you know this is an indian breed they hear something from someone or you know they are expecting something you know from the dog or something oftentimes in the return again that is why my concept you know after especially you know getting suggestions, you know, from Dharamshala Animal Rescue and, you know, Coimbatore Humane Society in Tamil Nadu that we have to release the dogs, you know, as soon as, as soon as they recover. Then we are not, you know, making the dog feel that, you know, okay, shelter is your home, you know, just, you know, we will just feed you, you know, just be here. As the sooner we release, they can recognize their street and even the other dogs, you know, in the other in the street they will see, okay, you know, okay, the same territory dog, you know, came back and, you know, they don't attack, you know, the dog back. So we have been following the same process in all along and we will sterilize the dog, you know, we will vaccinate before releasing. And that is how we are able to keep our shelter number of dogs in control. And otherwise we will really overcrowd, you know, very, very soon, you know, if we don't uh, release them. If it takes eight months, one year, you know, to adopt one single dog and then, you know, keep waiting, if, you know, if the dog doesn't return, we cannot help as many dogs. So unfortunately, that's what we are doing. And puppies have, do have, you know, some adoption rate in India. So there are a few Indian adoption events happening. So we partner with them and uh, we take, you know, our puppies to those uh, yeah, adoption events, you know, we post uh, here and there. And uh, we had a few puppies adopted, but uh, very, very few, you know, adult dogs. It makes so much sense that thinking about like you have a limited amount of space and so many animals to help. So we're very grateful for all the work that's going on over there. That sounds like quite an ambitious endeavor. Now, the CDC ban now has been in effect for, well, about by the time this airs, it'll be like maybe a month. <laughs> We got really swept up in one animal story, and that's Holly's story. It's a really compelling story of like a dog and someone who just like found her story was so compelled. And I know she was part of your transport, yes, that you just recently went on. So can you go into her story a little bit? And then also 
how the CDC pan is in fa- impacting you. Sure, absolutely. When I started my rescue, I did not start with a mission that every single of my rescue is going to come to US because I know how much it costs you know, to bring one dog to US. And uh, because, you know, I am born and raised in India, you know, I can speak three different languages in India. I can communicate with locals very well. I can connect to them, you know, very well. I wanted to connect with locals more and uh, help more dogs, you know, with that same amount of money. So that is why my plans do not include bringing a lot of dogs to US, you know, from India. But me as an Indian, I mean, my in-laws and my parents are still there. And my cousins, all of them are there. So, you know, I do visit once in a while, you know, anyways. So my plan always was, you know, when I visit, you know, I'm in, you know, the dogs here. So it's been, you know, a year and a half, you know, I went to India. So I could not go in the whole COVID times. And then my father-in-law wasn't, you know, feeling very well. So I wanted to visit, you know, in this July. So that is when, very luckily, Holi, we rescued you know holy he was uh, just a one month puppy you know he was uh, really so small you know with a broken paw a vehicle ran over him and then he's uh, we could not save his paw you know it was barely hanging when we rescued the next day we took to the veterinarian you know his uh, paw was already uh, you know rotten so anyways you know we got his back leg surgery you know to fix his uh, uh, fracture that's when you know cuddly featured him Quite a few people actually, you know, contact, how do we adopt, you know, Holi? And then since I already had plans, you know, to go, you know, sometime after this whole COVID, I started taking applications. And then, you know, I found, you know, really amazing people who are interested in Holi. You know, I did uh, explain to them that, you know, it's not a regular adoption. You know, this uh, puppy has to come, you know, from India and then this puppy cannot come until he is at least, you know, four or five months old. You know, those are the, you know, regulations you know, in India. And right now he's only a month old. You know, the adopters are ready to wait. I was, we were taking care of Holi very, very, you know, carefully because a lot of puppies, you know, who end up, you know, in accidents like these, you know, who went through surgeries do develop, you know, some infection or some kind of infectious disease, you know, something like But, you know, our rescues in India, you know, are... Uh, very experienced that you know they can detect uh, their symptoms at very early stages and uh, they take to the vet immediately but you know uh, holy did not had any infections or so fortunately and he recovered very very well you know as planned and our adopters were approved you know for adoption you know after all the background check and everything they were waiting you know i was excited to bring him and then all of a sudden we heard about this uh, cdc ban it was like literally 10 days before, you know, I heard about it. And then I was planning to go, but you know, I did not book my tickets because then there was a lockdown in India because of uh, this whole second wave. There was a lot of chaos in India. And then this CDC ban came out of nowhere. I did talk to Street Dog Support, Fly, and other people, you know, to find out, you know, how soon i mean this temporary ban will end you know they said you know it's not going to be anytime soon so the adapters uh, john and Brittany were worried too and then i had to really change my plans overnight the next day you know i started looking for uh, you know, flight tickets and then i also talked to you know my veterinarians so my relocation you know agency my rescuers you know to you know make everything ready and uh, fortunately you know i was able to book the what if I get you know, tested positive for uh, COVID and I cannot fly? I am vaccinated, but still, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell. So overnight, I had to change my plans and I had to talk to my boss and about, you know, pre-poning my vacation. Fortunately, I found, uh, you know, r- the right window to book my tickets, you know, all the plans, you know, to make their uh, travel uh, documents, everything went well. My initial plan was to bring six, you know, because we can bring up to 12 according to Qatar Airways. Uh, I do know someone in Orlando bought four or five, you know, with her. But for some reason, this time, you know, when I made all my plans and you know, when I talked to my travel agent, you know, he only said, oh, you know, they only allowed two. But I did tell that, you know, last time when I traveled from Hyderabad, I, bought, I got three with me. 
So I had to educate them, you know, a little bit and they did their own research and, you know, we contacted Pitfly, but, you know, everyone confirmed that I can only bring three. So that was a little bummer, but it's okay. You know, at least, you know, as long as I can bring Holi, um, I'm fine with it. Uh, and uh, within, you know, less than a week, you know, I flew. Fortunately, I got a negative COVID report. There were quite a few hiccups there. I mean, to say, I mean, things are not straightforward, you know, to get these travel documents, you know, taking these dogs to airport quarantine officer where we get, uh, you know, all the documents from. So it was a long procedure, you know. It's not just one stop, you know, where you get get everything. I had to, you know, go to my vet's office like, you know, two or three times you know, to get uh, uh, those documents rewritten, rewritten because, you know, uh, the agent was not satisfied. It was very far to go one place to other. I vet's office, you know, I take travel documents. I have to go out, you know, take a printout, you know, from a Xerox shop. And then sometimes a day or, you know, I have to wait. And then I, I come back and I take the stamp. Uh, for some reason, they need physical uh, stamp to approve as, a, you know. Anyways, I was again worried that I will test positive for COVID when I am coming back. Fortunately, I tested negative. And uh, all the three, three dogs made it to airport. And then I went to check in. And then at the check-in, you know, they said, oh, you know, your COVID uh, report uh, expired. And then I said, you know, I checked online for uh, travel requirements and it says a 72-hour, uh, you know, COVID report. And then uh, he said, ah, yeah, I know that's for uh, India and United States, but not for uh, Doha, you know, where you're transiting. But I said, you know, that's how I came back, you know, even in the United States. And I took a 72-hour report and then no one, you know, in the United States told me about it. They accept, accepted my report. They said, no, 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 you have to go out and, you know, get uh, tested again. And then you know, the whole thing started again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then anyways, you know, fortunately, you know, I tested uh, negative again. And then all my pups were able to fly safely. We came home. And the minute I landed here, I was so relieved, you know. <laughs> I mean, I can get out of all these, you know, these rules and, you know, these. Uh... So anyways, you know, a week after uh, Holi uh, landed here, you know, the adapters came, you know, all the way from North Carolina, you know, they drove you know 500 miles you know little you know to meet this guy he was a bit shy in the beginning but yeah you know he met them you know he was super friendly and then he went home and he's happy you said it wasn't straightforward but that was like so far away from straightforward <laughs> i mean that's you can encounter every obstacle that's that's a roller coaster absurd but i mean we're so grateful it's such a wonderful tale of like people coming together to help animals it's incredible to hear I mean, and we're so glad that you're able to continue your rescue efforts, even with the CDC ban, Mm -hmm. because I think it is making things so difficult in a year that has already been like so bizarre. Now, all of a sudden it's turning around and is becoming so bizarre in a whole new way for so many other rescuers, but not you. And thank goodness. I know. I'm I'm very glad, you know, everything went well. Well, so we imagine that there are probably some dogs or animals in your home right now. Yes. Yes, correct. Yeah, I do have two of those uh, three dogs who came from India with me. I'm fostering them. Papa's pet rescue in Florida, those two dogs into their rescue. They will visit uh, vet. They already visited, you know, vet once, but, you know, we have to take them to a specialist again because one of them is paralyzed. One of them, you know, have uh, bowed feet. Once uh, they are uh, ready for adoption, you know, they will be up for adoption. And I also have one more, the third dog that I've been fostering for three months, you know, for uh, Poochie's Pet Rescue. He's from Florida Shelters, you know, not from India, but I do have uh, three, yes. So you're like a founder and you're still like volunteering and fostering for other rescues. That's so amazing. Talking about multitasking, you're, mm-hmm. you're doing it all. So with that many dogs coming in and out of your house, I imagine with all of these, because, you know, you said you, you fostered something like 59 different dogs. So I imagine there's probably been some naughty behavior going on there. So we kind of have some fun questions. So what is the naughtiest thing that a dog has ever done in your home? Oh, yeah. They, I mean, I do see all sorts of behaviors. I mean, a lot of chewing in my home. Every single corner you see, you know, there is something, you know, which is chewed, and, you know, damaged. A lot of things, you know, but uh, one naughty dog I remember is that, you know, Star. 
Star was a pit bull that I fostered for almost a year from Poochie's Pet Rescue. She loves to run outside the minute, I mean, she, I mean, someone forgets the door open, she runs out, but she will not come back. <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> That's how I had a personal pet at home and she wouldn't even look back. She would just keep <laughs> running and was very fast and Almost every morning she would get out. We were lucky that she had a park nearby. Otherwise, she would have been in danger, but we got exercise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, we have to lure her, you know, with biscuits, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes she just want to explore. But finally, we figured out, you know, how to catch her. I mean, we just have to wait for 15 minutes. She will run, run, run. <laughs> we are just scared, you know, of the cars, you know, who are passing by. And then she will come back. I mean, so... And then I also had another dog who figured out how to jump off of the fence. And then we had to really cover our whole fence with something, you know, so that he cannot jump. But he somehow figures, you know, out how to jump. And uh, every single day, I mean, we, I live in a uh, gated neighborhood, which is, you know, fortunate. I posted in our neighborhood Facebook page. And if you see this guy anytime, please know that, you know, he's my guy. He just, you know, jumping off the fence and you know he's exploring and literally every single day someone you know will walk him you know to my home you know your dog is you know here so yeah i mean quite a few chewing habits you know quite a few yeah, you know all sorts of naughty dogs but it's been really really you know good experience you know they all make me happy oh my gosh that's so funny so is there like one trick that you've learned as a foster that you feel like would be something that you could that you pass on to other fosters and pet parents? So very first thing is you have to really be open to understand about the dog, that the minute you know, a dog walks into your home, the dog is very, very nervous. The dog does not know if, you, if the dog is safe in your home, you know, what you're doing to the dog. So you have to really understand that accidents are you know, very, very common in the first few days. Unless you really take time to understand the dog, you give a tour um, of, to that dog, your entire home and even your backyard and let them sniff every single room and let them pee and poop, you know, outside. Then they'll know, you know, how to go out. You know, you have to show them the way, you know, how to go out. And you have to give them really some time to get them used to, you know, feel safe. And you have to be ready, you know, to... The accidents, you know, come and then you have to be prepared to you know, clean them. That's all I did, actually. I mean, all these, you know, fosters, you know, that I did. I'm not a good trainer. I mean, but I did party train a lot of puppies and a lot of other dogs. But I'm not a good trainer. But it's okay. I mean, what I focused on is, are they going to be a good domesticated dogs? A lot of owners, you know, what they see is a well-behaved dog with uh, minimal problems while in domestication in, and uh, who are uh, uh, pot trained. Those are the ones, you know, I focus. So we had a few challenging dogs. So I usually go to YouTube and then, you know, find, you know, these training tutorials. I followed them. 99% of these dogs were uh, trained, you know, with their YouTube tutorials. And I didn't have to really spend a lot of money or uh, anything. I have uh, very good advocates, you know, who really helped me all along, you know, in my rescue path, you know, Poochie's Pet Rescue, I have been working with them for almost five years now. Initially, I did not know anything about, you know, handling it out. So they really advocated me you know, how to train these dogs, what to expect, you know, I mean, they helped me in a lot of ways. I mean, I understood and then probably two years after my rescue fostering you know life started you know i was able to understand you know everything and then now i don't even have to ask them when i go to youtube you know i find the right videos and then i train them accordingly you know they all are pretty much good and then i also dog park every dog needs socialization you know exercise even though i walk them i figured it's not enough because i'm walking slowly because i'm so tired already you know doing all of these I have been taking a dog park membership, you know, on my personal, you know, money for uh, almost you know, four years now. 
and then I take them on the weekends. You know, that's when I'm free. I take them every single week, and then uh, I have seen quite a few dogs really started doing well. You know, after visiting dog park, they are tired. You know, they got exercise. You know, they are meeting lots of dogs, and it's a neutral place. And yeah, I mean, so far out of fifty nine dogs, you know, I have four with me. A few died. You know, the puppies died. But other than that, you know, every single dog, you know, we were able to rehome, and every single dog is happy in their homes. Ah, oh, love that! Amazing, I love that. One final question: Is there one like saying or life motto that you like work and live by? So I am still fostering. I did not adopt a dog yet because I don't have a huge yard. You know, I live in a HOA neighborhood. You know, with restrictions. So, so far, I mean, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you do that? You know, how do you let, you know, a dog go, you know, after fostering? Sometimes I foster dogs, you know, for over a year. I still let them go. That's because I want to help as many shelter dogs. Fostering is not easy. Not a lot of people are really ready uh, to do that. So, all I want uh, is for the dog uh, is to go to a very good home. So I'm happy actually. As long as you know they are going to good homes and happy, you know I'm happy. I mean, right now you know I still have energy, you know, to foster, you know, and uh, as long as I have energy, you know, I still want to foster and then let them find you know good homes. Same thing. I've been uh, preaching to my rescuers in India too uh, that you know if they do get adoption application or you know if their home is streets, you know, don't hesitate, you know, to Send it away. They are happy, or wherever their home is. Do not feel bad about you know letting them go. But you know we are uh, making them healthy, you know, and sending them to a happy home. Oh, good mindset to have. Yeah, I mean, so holistic for the animals. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. This has been eye-opening. Absolutely, we already were such fans of the work you do. Now we're even more fans. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much. Ujwala has such wonderful insight into the life of a stray dog in India. We love the work that she's doing with Stray Dog Foundation of India and hope to see her just grow and evolve from here. If you want to learn a little bit more about them, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly, that's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.